Hi, I'm Robbie Jung from Animoca Brands, the global leader in branded blockchain gaming. You're listening to The Edge of NFT, the fastest growing podcast set to become the global leader in all things NFT. Stay tuned and let's hang on tight to this NFT rocket ship. Hello, NFT Curious listener. Welcome to today's episode. A great one. Find out how Animoca Brands is supporting Mad World and in so doing, defending artists in the metaverse. And how the next billion users will find their way to blockchain. And get a crash course from today's guest on the history of gaming and how it is elevating NFTs. All this and more just ahead on today's episode. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Robbie Young, CEO of Animoca Brands North America, the literal game-changing leader in digital entertainment, blockchain, and gamification with a mind-blowing portfolio of products and games, including Rev and Sand Tokens, as well as investment and partnerships with companies like Axie Infinity, OpenSea, Dapper Labs, and Alien Worlds, and subsidiaries like the Sandbox, Quid, and Limpo. Robbie has been in gaming since 2012 and blockchain gaming since 2018. He served as the first CEO of Animoca Brands after taking the group public in 2015. Prior to that, he co-founded magazine publisher One Media Group, which he listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and also founded Chinese television and outdoor media concern Redgate Media Group, which was acquired by Inotech Holdings. Robbie began his career in technology building wireless telecom networks in China and Indonesia with Metro Media and is now one of the visionary leaders blazing new trails for blockchain, gaming, and NFTs. Robbie, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Hi, you're making me blush. Well, you can't see that on the podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, I was just looking up that Ready Player One came out in 2018, which was mm-hmm. the same year you got into blockchain gaming. That was mm-hmm. an interesting coincidence to me. Oh, I have a bigger one for you if you want. So here's a full circle moment. The first company that I made an angel investment into, which required begging my dad to lend me some money, because I didn't have any at the time, was in 1997. That was right after Snow Crash had come out. And my friend gave me a copy of it to read and said, this is what we're doing. And they had hacked together a demo using a level builder from Doom. If you remember Doom and Quake. And that was the best way to kind of simply put together a 3D interactive immersive environment, except that you weren't shooting stuff. The only thing, the only funny part was that in order to make like an e-commerce demo, you still had to use the shooting function to buy things because shooting is all you can do with the level builder in Doom. (laughs) But the idea was to build a metaverse. Needless to say, fast forward when the bubble burst in 2000, 2001, the business tried to survive and didn't. But funnily enough, now we have the sandbox. And 24 years later, not only is the sandbox finally realizing that dream, but in a full circle moment, the CEO of that startup that I invested in has now become an investor in the sandbox. Wow. 
the sad part is that your dad is now living on the street because he gave you all his money <laughs> and you <laughs> spent it on bad investments. <laughs> well, the good thing is now I can pay him back. It just, yeah, it just took a I quarter figured. century. I figured. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, talk about predicting the future, right? Glimpses of the future, right? Holy yeah, cow. exactly. Well, I think it's because we've always had these same kind of dreams, obviously influenced by science fiction. And, and we see so much of technology heading in that direction because sci-fi and things we saw in movies and read in books kind of gave us these ideas. So when it comes to figuring out how you want your product to look, people are like, oh, well, it needs a holodeck because those are the icons that we have from popular culture. Yeah, totally, man. Well, let's go back to the beginning, man. We'd love to learn how you connected with Animoca Brands and also like what was your introduction to crypto and, and NFTs? Sure. So Animoca Brands was started by an old friend of mine, a guy named Yatsu. And Yat and I have known each other since since the time of other anecdotes. Um, so since since 97, because that was really the dawn of the internet startup community in Hong Kong, where I was living at the time. And there was a handful of startups. In fact, we used to have weekly meetups and all the startups in Hong Kong in the, in in the internet business would meet up in somebody's boardroom who still like had a day job at a big corporate. And that gives you an idea of how many startups there were because we all fit in a boardroom and we would network and we would swap ideas and try to figure out how to get venture funding and stuff. And it was hard because, you know, we were not in Silicon Valley and and the 90s were very much about being in Silicon Valley and access to capital and networking and all that. So we did our best. And one of those people I met at one of those events was Yat. And we, you know, remained friends for years and years. And he built a successful enterprise messaging business called Outplace and survived the 2000 crash. And then when he sold that business in 09, he started Animoca Brands, repurposing the team to really focus on games because they had done games as kind of a side pocket doing some console and PC games. But then it was the dawn of mobile. And so they wanted to go in whole hog. And a few years after that, I sold the last business that I was working on, which was a traditional media business. And I was looking for something to do. And I had heard tremendous things from a mutual friend and shareholder about what Yat was doing in mobile gaming. And, and when I discovered mobile, it was really cool because it seemed almost like destiny because having been in TMT my whole career, it was kind of everything wrapped into one. It combined telecoms and wireless and mobile and like mobile telecoms and it combined internet and advertising and media all in one platform. And I'm like this, you know, I was made to do this. It's everything I've ever done all in one. And I haven't looked back because I thought it was, it was really, really exciting. So I joined when we moved to Android in 2012. And then in 2017, we started looking at crypto at that time, because obviously there was a big ICO boom and it started to get on the sort of mainstream radar in the technology industry, at least. And so we started to examine it and ended up making a partnership at the end of that year with a company in Vancouver who was working on making a game on blockchain, which was kind of a cool idea. And the company was called Axiom Zen and the game was CryptoKitties. And so we agreed with them to be the publisher of CryptoKitties in greater China. And so that was really my entree into, you know, I was not an early, you know, Bitcoin miner or anything like that myself. That was my introduction actually to blockchain. And at the time, did, did you know, with CryptoKitties being you know, such a groundbreaking kind of NFT project, ERC721, everything that happened there, was there a glimpse for you of the future of what NFTs could be? Or was it more of kind of like a, a slow progression? Yeah. We went into it with 
some really fundamental ideas from the perspective of being game developers. And I think that for us, we only saw a third of the potential at that time, but that was enough to sell us on pivoting the whole ship and focusing on it. I think later we understood better what it really could be, but we had a simple idea. We looked at the ICO boom and we thought, all these people have just bought tokens. They've spent billions and billions of dollars over the course of 2017 buying tokens on all manner of blockchains. And we looked at each other and we're like, what are they going to do with all these tokens? There are so many projects out there that tried to be the next Bitcoin essentially, but they didn't have any utility for their tokens. And we thought, here's a really simple idea. Why don't we just make games and maybe they'll spend their tokens on our games? That was it. That was the first idea, basically. And we're mobile game developers. We're mercenary. If there's a place where money can be made because users have eyeballs, we will go there. And this to us was a market and an interesting market opportunity because there was nobody else there. And we were there at the beginning of mobile when the iOS app store opened and there was nobody there. And tell you, it was really good for five or six years. Yeah, we heard about Apple giving you guys the boot, which was a crazy yes. story. Yet yeah, told us about amazing, yes. yeah, amazing yeah. to recover from that, and then to get the phone call from them, right? <laughs> well, there's a big void because these guys were making the coolest games, so they probably regretted that decision. But I guess like there was this sort of shift that occurred, right, with NFTs, where there's more of a trading culture and perceived value could allow gamers to actually make a living from the games that they play. I think that came later. Yeah, when did that sort of click for you? I mean, I think that's a major milestone in the revolution of of gaming that surely has had something to do with you all recently becoming a unicorn and raising Mm -hmm. $138 million. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. When was that shift? So I think the first stage of that was actually just looking at a more simplistic proposition, which is to think about us as game developers and asking ourselves, look, if we're going to ask consumers to embrace this new technology, what does it mean for them? Because one of the things about being in mobile for so long is we've gotten accustomed to an environment that has the most simple and straightforward user onboarding of any technology medium in history. I mean, with a well-made app on iOS, you can literally, like if you count download app as one click, by click number three, you've bought something. (laughs) There's no other process in the world that's that efficient because you already set up your wallet and everything like that, right? Your Apple Pay, et cetera. So the way we thought about it was if, if gamers have property rights and they own their digital content, two things will happen. One, they won't have to actually do anything different than what they already do in free to play games. They already use virtual currency. They already buy virtual goods and they've been trained to this habit for more than a decade. So we don't have to ask them to change their consumer behavior. That's step one. But then step two, if we think about what it means to own your own stuff, let's just pretend that the hype cycle of scarcity and things like that never happened. Let's just assume you own stuff and it's regular stuff, digital stuff. Now, we can apply the analogy of traditional gaming. You know, when I was growing up with a console at home, We had cartridges in the console and they were really expensive. And if you wanted a new game cartridge, typically your parents made you get rid of the old one first because there was a secondhand market for the old cartridge. That's how GameStop was born, right? And if you think about what NFTs are, NFTs actually enable that same recycling behavior. 
Because if you're spending your money in a game and you get tired of this game and want to play game number two, you can sell your stuff from game number one and you may not make any money on it. But the nice thing is you won't lose all your money because there's going to be a secondhand market because new players will come into the game and say, oh, well, I'll buy that car for half the price of, of the retail price. Why not? I don't mind a secondhand car. So it's interesting because it actually go, harks back to a traditional behavior in gaming where the idea is that you could at least repurpose your gaming investment, even though it might diminish over time, you can repurpose some of it. And that to me as a traditional business guy, a little bit hard nosed, I thought that was really compelling because the idea that we could offer gamers, look, here's an experience where you spend your money and you get zero and that's guaranteed in return. And here's an experience where you will get more than zero. We don't know what it is. We don't know if it'll be bigger than your investment, but it's more than zero. We think everybody will pick the ladder and it's a no brainer. There you go. And fast forward, we talked about the raise and part of the announcement that went out, you guys stated that the funds are going to be used to develop new products, make strategic investments, secure additional licenses, further acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us how that's going so far and what we should get excited about? Cool. So far, so good. So I think what we've done is we've announced some exciting new products. We announced recently that we acquired a studio in Sydney called Blowfish, which is a AAA space-themed adventure title with mechanical transformer-type robots. And it's really cool. And I think it's a great example of how we can build on top of great AAA content and introduce tokenization and NFTs into what would be a more traditional console game experience. And for our listeners at home, AAA isn't like AAA in baseball, where that's the lower level league. This is like the major <laughs> league. MLB. This is like the all-star game. All-star. Is what we're talking about when we're talking about AAA gaming. Yes, AAA gaming is the level of fidelity that you have to buy the expensive TVs for. <laughs> nice. Definitely. And so we're really excited about that. We've gone out and we've also, of course, grown our IP franchises. So one of the things that we've done over the course of this year is expanded our motorsports franchise. We started with Formula One, then we moved to MotoGP and then Formula E. And then we also launched our own in-house title called Rev Racing, which is oh, the most recent We're edition. totally familiar with that one. We, we all own Edge of NFT race cars that oh, cool. can be used in your game. That was a really awesome collaboration. That yeah. game's legit too. It's hard. It's hard. I and mean, that's good. It's a real learning curve there. It's not a gimme. Well, there has to be because it's called play to earn, not play to, <laughs> play to get stuff for free. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. To your earlier point, do I get offers on my Rev Racing car like once a week? People want that thing. Definitely. Well, and I think it's interesting because one of the things we did with Rev Racing was we did an airdrop of those NFTs as our distribution strategy. And I think it's great because one of the things that we identified was that about 80% of the initial launch of NFTs, and I think it was about 16,000, went into the hands of people for whom it's their first NFT. I think that's really important to us because one of the big themes, obviously, is that we always talk about how gaming is kind of the tip of the spear of entertainment and bringing mass adoption to blockchain. But I think it's nice because we can now start to see actual examples in the market, not just in our own portfolio, as well as obviously in colleagues in the industry of success stories where we can see, look, really results are being delivered and this is a legitimate industry and this is a legitimate trend. 
Yeah, that's amazing stuff. You've been talking about this theme overall, just about like the meta purpose of a lot of things that are happening right now in NFTs. And I think it's exactly what you said for, for the, all the fun things that are happening, the meta functionality, the meta purpose is to, to bring people into the fold, to introduce them to blockchain, to introduce them to NFTs and, and to become part of the ecosystem, to learn how to open a wallet, how to trade without you know being scared and uh, to have confidence in what they do. And I think it's, it's starting to grow exponentially and it's, it's just the beginning. That's the amazing part. Yes. Yes. And, and I think we've seen, you know, with tremendous success stories, like obviously Axie Infinity, which has been kind of the good news story of the summer that keeps on giving. There are more people now in the, in the Philippines with Axie wallets than with credit cards. I mean, it's really amazing to think that you can essentially use a play to earn product like that to start to bank unbanked people. I just got to mention, I know Ethan has a question he wanted to ask you, but I met a NFT artist that created a scholarship program for Axie Infinity, and he has over 400 scholars. This was a month ago, so probably it's double that now. And 50,000 scholars on the waiting list where they have mm-hmm. scholars, some of the original scholars in this program have scholars into them. So you guys are changing lives with this game. Yeah. And as well as banking the unbanked, I think we're podcasting the unpodcast is because the Philippines is one of our highest listener markets when we check the stats. So I think that's, that's part awesome. of the reason. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. I wanted, yes, as, as Josh alluded, I wanted to ask you a bit about Mad World. We got the news yesterday, Animoca Brands is backing Mad World and ideas to help bring artists into the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And of course, let's just mention MAD of MAD World stands for Multiverse Artist Defender. Can you tell us a little bit about MAD World and you know what this whole idea of defending artists is about? Sure. Really, it's about providing a platform for artists that is an enabling technology to allow them to be able to kind of be to self-publish, if, to use an old school phrase. So they're essentially minting their own NFTs. They're designating their own royalty schemes and deciding how they want to distribute their artwork, including some interesting technology that uses NFC chips in order to be able to link physical goods with NFTs. Right. Because I think one of the things that at least I've noticed in the NFT art community is there are a lot of collectors out there who are really, really happy about, I always see these people posting on Twitter, how they bought an NFT of, you know, a well-known artist, but then Six months later, they actually get the physical artwork in the mail that accompanies their NFT because they bought a digital twin product. And there still is, as great as NFTs are, sometimes a physical piece of art to put on the wall is also very nice. And so I think that there is definitely a place in the market for pure digital products as well as digital twins. But one of the things Mad World does very well is have a way to manage the digital twin process, which is interesting. Yeah. And that's really interesting when we talk about sort of the multiverse and integrating in real life with NFTs and putting all that together. I'm sort of curious about the, the general direction of Mad World as is integrating the real world in real life art. But is there a bent towards gaming and virtual worlds as well? As we've seen these different NFT platforms have different focuses. You know, OpenSea has its yes. focus. Hiccup Nunk has its focus. We just talked to uh, Impact Theory founder about how he wants to have like a comic book kind of focus NFT platform. Yeah. So is there a focus here on sort of this gaming and, and multiverse with Madworld or is that not the case? 
gaming is in part of their roadmap, but it's a little bit further down the road. So a couple of years down the road, I think in the short to medium term, it's much more about focusing on being a platform that's for artists, number one, that has a strong emphasis on security and on management, because I think one of the benefits of launching now in this market is that you have a couple of three years of solid technology development behind you. One of the things about our industry is it changes so fast that the incremental quality of technological quality of products increases dramatically quarter on quarter, just because we're all an open source community and we all benefit from all the hard work everybody's doing because we can build on top of each other's code. And so I think in the medium term, it's going to be about that platform for the artists and also then integrating that into metaverse spaces. And to the extent that a metaverse is a game or a social experience, I mean, I'm sure we can argue what the definition is, but it's kind of all of the above. And I think one of the things that's making gaming such a compelling force for blockchain adoption is because actually gaming is not really what we traditionally think of the term, because gaming is really just a synonym for the largest movement in entertainment. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way that just opened up the definition of gaming. And we're seeing some of these, you know, even the PFP profile pick NFT there, some of them have at least opening up, hey, let's put some traits on there as if it were some sort of role-playing game, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's open up that trajectory to create a game out of things. And it just reminds me of that kind of go-to party trick, which is, hey, let's break out a game, everyone. You know, let's sort of like <laughs> play charades or, or whatever it is, Uno. And it sort of loses people up and gets people having fun and socializing on a different level. And just, just that simple way in which you open up the definition helps me expand my perception of what's going on here, right? Or definitely, sort of definitely. opening think- new avenues for socialization. Yes. And I think that that's something that obviously we have to try to evolve definitions. But typically, if you just put together a room of of random people and you said, who's a gamer? Most people have a connotation in their mind that that means that you wear a headset and sit in a dark room and shoot stuff. Right. Whereas when you actually say, so how many people played Candy Crush on your phone today on the bus? Or then all of a sudden half the people put their hands up and you're like, oh, you're gamers. (laughs) It's true. And you also recently announced Arc 8 on Polygon, right, mm-hmm. which is a mobile blockchain game. And then earlier in the podcast, uh, you mentioned Phantom Galaxies, which you guys did with uh, Blowfish Studios. So how are these different and how do you envision these games bringing the next you know, billion people into the world of blockchain? Sure. So I think they do it in two very different ways because they're on opposite ends of the content spectrum. So as we talked about, Phantom Galaxies is a triple A and not in the baseball connotation, triple A game. So it it's focused on really immersive, experiential multiplayer gaming. So you're transported to a galaxy far, far away and battling with alien robots. And I think that appeals to the hardcore gamer, meaning people who really love immersive multiplayer games. They can sit with their friends for two hours and have a gaming session and be completely immersed in that experience. And that is, by definition, a blockchain experience as well, because NFTs, they're playable NFTs in a game, etc. Arcade is the other end of the spectrum because it's all about hyper-casual mobile social games, right? Games that have a great social hook so that inside the games, you can earn blockchain rewards, you can earn NFTs from playing hyper-casual games. But you can amplify your rewards by playing with your friends, sharing with your friends. So it's very viral. 
And that's something that we bring as sort of a learning from the sort of traditional mobile game industry as to how do we enhance virality and bring as many users as possible into a product. And so I'm really pleased to report that we brought in over a million new users into Arcade on, on Polygon in the first week. And that was actually great news for Polygon because if I'm not mistaken, I think they now have more wallets on Polygon than on Ethereum as a result of that. And from a mobile gaming perspective, that's not a massive number. We used to make games that you'd expect if you didn't bring in 5 million downloads in the first week, you were really, really, really sad. <laughs> but blockchain, it's very meaningful because obviously people who play blockchain games at this point in the market tend to be much higher spenders. ARPU is, is on a, a factor of 10 to 100x compared to a traditional mobile game because these play to earn economies where essentially users are making peer to peer transactions and benefiting each other. They're much stickier. Retention is much higher. And when people own stuff, they're much happier to spend because they know that it's not just a one-way transaction. They know that something may come back to them eventually. And spoken like a true gaming expert, I mean, you guys have that deep, deep knowledge. And one of the, the few companies that can, I think, speak from such deep experience in gaming, all of the metrics that you're talking about, you just don't hear about that a lot with such conviction in the space. So it's very cool to have this conversation. We appreciate that. Yeah, not at all. I'm hoping that we can really bring that perspective because for the people who've been in blockchain gaming since the early days of three years ago, four years ago, we're one of the few that actually came from the gaming side as opposed to from the crypto side. And so we kind of learned our crypto along the way. And most of the people came at it from the other side and kind of learned their gaming along the way. So we're hoping we can kind of bring a, a slightly different perspective to it. And, and we're also trying to communicate that to other people in the game industry because we understand their perspective and of course, try to sort of evangelize to tell them what a fantastic journey we've been on and, and see how we can then bring their content into the blockchain as well. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So let's fast forward to do a little bit of a Ready Player One, the next Ready Player One scenario going into 2022. It's been an incredible year. We still have a couple months left. And a lot of in-person NFT gatherings along the way will be in New York and Miami. Perhaps you will as well. What does 2022 look like? What are some of your big, bold predictions given your historical accuracy? Can you imagine if we had this conversation 12 months ago and how wrong whatever we would have said would have been? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, we're totally going to pin this up on, uh, on Twitter for the whole year <laughs> now. We will hold you to it. Just make a list of everything you invested in two years ago and exactly. what pretty much will, will be the center of attention next year. I see a few <laughs> trends. One is I don't know that things are going to slow down at all because I think that actually we've passed a tipping point of mainstream consciousness where there are enough of the traditional early movers now involved in the sector. And I'm looking at you, A16Z, <laughs> who have kind of put their stake down and said, this is going to be a thing. And that imprimatur of quality basically will attract other people to say, hey, what are they doing? You know, maybe we should get some of that. And I think we've passed that tipping point so that there's going to be enough capital, which is the most important thing, devoted to people who are building in this new economy. And so I think that whatever the train has left the station, it's not going back anymore. So I'm very excited about that. I don't know if the pace of change can continue as fast as it has been this year, but 
we are trying as hard as we can to try to push an open multi-chain ecosystem because we think that's extremely important to everybody's success. Because what we're doing with blockchain and gaming right now is, is essentially we're doing for digital assets what open source did for code. All of the fact that we have these composable assets and we have essentially open source code where we can all build on top of everybody else's work is why this has moved so fast. Because we're not building massive walled gardens around what we're doing and being secretive about our code. And it's actually working for the benefit of everybody. And I'm hoping that people recognize that because the people who've been in this community for a few years understand that and they understand the benefits of sharing and the fact that they will actually, their own business will do better if they're open about sharing their code because they can borrow somebody else's code too. It's it's a two-way street. And I think that if we can continue like that, it will be amazing because we have never seen companies built to this scale before. Companies have achieved big valuations in short periods of time in previous sort of tech cycles, but companies have never delivered as much revenue and profit in such a short time before. We have companies that will do close to $100 million in revenues this year in our industry who didn't even incorporate until towards the end of the first quarter of this year. Like standing start in nine months to $100 million in revenues, I don't care what industry you're from, that's a business. It is amazing times, man. It is. And it's so great to hear about Animoca brand's role in all of that and what a central player your company is, man. So, so great to hear about those things. We'd love to also get to know you and your perspectives personally a little bit better as well. And we have a segment that we call Edge Quick Hitters where we try to do that. Okay. It's basically 10 questions, looking for short, single word or fewer responses, but uh, you can feel free to expand if you get the urge. Yeah, I did this as well. So it'll be interesting to compare and contrast your responses. (laughs) (laughs) He's in the Hall of Fame. No pressure though. No pressure. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's dive in. Question number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Hmm. The who? The kids are all right. Double album vinyl. Nice. That may be one of the coolest answers we got, guys. That's solid. I <laughs> That's like a good start for sure. Yeah. Question number two. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? <laughs> it was a gas-powered remote control car. Again, very cool. Gas-powered. That thing had to go fast. It did. And I had a friend with a very rich dad who really wanted one. And my dad lived in Hong Kong where they were a lot cheaper. So <laughs> I had my dad bring it home from his business trip and I sold it for a, quite a markup. Nice. I'm just glad you didn't say gas powered remote for a television set. (laughs) (laughs) Question number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? Recent thing. And aside from everyday staples, I'm assuming. Up to you, sir. Okay. So besides groceries, I'd say the most recent thing. Oh, plants. Oh, nice. Uh, For the, for for around the house? Yes. Well, because now that I live in London and I've been here for a couple of years, one of the things you do in the UK is you garden, especially during the lockdown. I did not know that. Good to know. You can see it's infectious here. You just end up becoming a gardener eventually. That's part of British life. Good to know. And have you developed that green thumb or have you always had it? I'm killing less stuff. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Number four, what is the most recent thing you sold? A bicycle. We've had a lot of cars lately as recent sales. This is uh, the first 
self-powered uh, mode of transportation. And honestly, it's because I'm a middle-aged guy, so I upgraded to a faster bike. <laughs> ah, there you go. That's the deal. Question number five. What is your most prized possession? My most prized possession? That's a really hard one. I mean, I, I'd have to say probably, it was probably a really nice watch that my dad got me when I was a teenager for graduation. It's one of those sentimental things. Yeah, that's Reminds nice. me of my dad, really. That's nice, man. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? Boy, that's a really hard question. On the assumption that money buys happiness, I guess. <laughs> of course. No. I would say, to be honest, I have a daughter who's in a wheelchair, so I think a private jet would be really nice. Oh, that would be awesome. Yes. Question number seven. If you could put, pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Hmm. I guess this is going to be the death of me, but frugality. Mm, very helpful and, and practical. Question number eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? <laughs> I think my wife would say your frugality. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have an example? What's something that you're frugal about that nobody else would be? I heard this story about a guy who he was like, I think he was an early investor in Facebook. And, you know, he became like a, like he had a bunch of money. Let's put it that way at one point. And he said he was still washing his socks in the hotel sink when he was on vacation, right? To kind of save oh, money. <laughs> forever. Well, and see, this is the thing. This is the difference. And I can say this being half white and half Chinese. So this is the difference between white people and Chinese people, because you could pick the richest Chinese business person in the world. And I bet you they're still washing their socks in the hotel sink. Just like, and here's one that anybody Chinese listening will appreciate. Just like we wash our Ziploc bags and reuse them. There you go. New insights all around. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit easier. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Oh, I was sitting with my daughter and we were watching a TV show on the BBC that is a, they basically have cameras and they follow ambulance drivers around on their shift. It's absolutely fascinating. I feel I like know I that. know someone who works for that show. It's an amazing, it's just called Ambulance, but it's an incredible show. Incredible. I mean, to see what these people do is incredible. That'd be cool. I'll have to check that I one mean, out. That's a real job. Mm-hmm. There is a metaphor, though, for a day in the life of working in the NFT space and driving around an ambulance. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Definitely some parallels. Last one, question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Oh, I am going to talk to my colleague in New York because it's earlier there. It's true. That's a fact. Well, great. That's the 10 questions. Thanks, Robbie, for playing with us. We really appreciate it. You guys want to uh, jump into some hot top? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do, do it. it. Just get a couple before uh, Robbie moves on to his next endeavor. Let's go for it. First Let's one on it. the list. Coinbase embraces NFT with new peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. Cryptocurrency exchange is branching out and launching the new marketplace for NFTs. Purchasing, showcasing, discovering them, they claim is ease more easy or easier than ever. Just as Coinbase helped millions of people access Bitcoin for the first time in the easy and trusted way, we want to do the same for NFTs. All right. Yeah. Big, big move, man. That's a big move. Yeah, I love it. Big move. I think that's great. And I think, frankly, it almost doesn't matter how successful it is because just the sheer force of gravity that Coinbase is in our industry will bring so many more people into NFTs that it's great for everybody. Yeah. And one of the things they were talking about, and I've seen some comments about it saying, hey, well, what about OpenSea? Aren't you guys investors in OpenSea and this and that? 
I think they were early, early investors in one of the early rounds. But, but regardless, it's one of these things where I find in crypto a lot, people will say, well, there's already a company that does that. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, there should be a lot of people that do a lot of things and contribute to these particular categories, including marketplaces for NFTs and so on. There's winners across you know, many, many categories outside of, of crypto. And people forget that sometimes, I think. And I think there's room for everybody to create a bigger pie. For sure. sure. I think maybe it was Mickey Maher from a previous episode from Dapper was just kind of saying, hey, we need more people in space, you know, competition. There's no such thing, right? That there's a lot of space for people to do different things. Totally agree. That is so right. I keep saying that to people. They keep saying, oh, well, who are your biggest competitors? We don't have any competitors. And that's not bragging. That's just the nature of the industry because we all help each other out. The fact that NFTs are interoperable is a good thing. The fact that I can build a cool game for crypto kitties and or bored apes, and then people can bring their apes into my game. That's progress because actually it makes apes more valuable if I make a cool game for them. So everybody wins. Right. And I keep being reminded of this aphorism, the riches are in the niches, right? It, and it doesn't have to be true because it rhymes, but it is something interesting to think about when it comes to NFT marketplaces. This is a theme that's popped up several times that there's probably space for a lot of different NFT marketplaces. And the secret to the success of each and one of them is what is going to be their niche, right? And as probably as deep as they want to go, right? As specific as they want to go with whatever marketplace they have, maybe even for the better of the business, at least in the early stages. I'm curious, Robbie, if you're in touch with FTX as well, they just put up a marketplace announcement too. And obviously that's another interesting signal that you have a well-capitalized exchange going into the NFT space, similar to Coinbase and how you see those two announcements sort of intersecting. Sure. I mean, I think they all want to be the place that provides liquidity. And I think from their perspective, because NFTs are digital items, they feel like they have a deep understanding of how to match orders because they do that for fungible tokens. And you can do that for the sales part of an NFT. I think the only thing that's different is NFTs require curation and they require a different approach to user interface design because you're browsing a store and getting an experience of visual representation is different from just a ticker symbol and a price. So that's going to be the challenge for them, I think. But it'll be a great opportunity for innovation and everyone's pushing the limits of beautiful UX. It's only going to make the experience better for the consumer. For sure, for sure. And I mean, obviously somebody like FTX and, and Coinbase for that matter are extremely well capitalized to do that kind of innovation. All right, let's hit the next exciting hot topic. And this one's fun. It, it just like Robbie, it integrates the East and the West here. Uh, McDonald's presents its own NFT collection called Big Mac Rubik's Cube. And the Big Mac Rubik's Cube is to meant to celebrate the occasion of the 31st anniversary of the Asian country market for McDonald's. And the food company statement explains it's a dynamic three-dimensional digital creative work, which is inspired by the spirit of the brand and the shape of its new headquarters in Shanghai. I think that just begs a question just in general. What's your been your experience throughout your life with the McDonald's brand, Ravi? The McDonald's brand. Well, the interesting thing is I give you a couple of fun facts. The busiest, at least this was true about 10 years ago, of the top 10 busiest McDonald's in the world, three of them were in Hong Kong, including wow. the number one. So Hong Kong knows something about that. And interestingly, the Big Mac index 
If you've read about that, really does work. So if you look at the price of a Big Mac in every country around the world and then compare it to currency prices, it is a proxy for global currency prices. And it's quite fascinating. So yes, I think this is interesting because honestly, I think that NFTs are a fantastic way to enhance loyalty programs for brands. Totally. There's a cliff note to this article that I think is one of the most interesting things. The Golden Arches company will offer 188 NFTs to some of its employees and consumers. That's interesting. The idea of bonusing your employees with NFTs. Wow. Exactly. Well, and I think it's great because it's also a way to give them something special because in our parents' generation, they got gold watches, right? That was the retirement gift or the, you know, 25 years of service or something. And it was a show of giving something that was of value. And I'm pleased to see that NFTs maybe have the same perspective. Yeah, there's so many parallels between loyalty programs, rewards programs that we can draw from to enhance engagement and reward attention mm-hmm. and, and build community. There's something really special in there that we can, we can carry over into what we're doing now. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. And I think this works, especially in a place where, like China, where people live much more digitally than they do in other countries, just because they're very, very fast adopters of new technology yeah, on a mass consumer basis. That's right. interesting, the point you made, Josh, about them rewarding their employees with the NFTs. I don't know if it was a huge story, but I heard it in another podcast. They were highlighting a little bit of negative publicity. I think it was for McDonald's. And during the pandemic, they were feeding the sort of essential workers for free, but that didn't extend to their own employees. <laughs> but we also mentioned something interesting. I think this just came up a conversation in a recent previous episode. They have these kids meals, right? At McDonald's and you had would have those collectibles, right? And you can imagine I don't have any of the collectibles that I had back when I was a kid that I got out of the Happy Meals. But with NFTs, you could retain those for a lifetime and still be trading them and having fun with them on throughout your life. And perhaps redeeming them for things, you know, later on. And in fact, I'm going to give a shout out to our friends at Sweet. We're shareholders in because they've actually done a campaign like that with another hamburger restaurant that is well known in the U.S. Wow. Very cool. We could speak to you all night, Robbie. We really appreciate you taking this time to spend with us today. But I think we, we do need to wrap. And before we do, though, let everybody know where they can follow you and where they should go to learn all, all the fun things that the Animoca is doing. Where should they keep an eye out on? Sure. So definitely Twitter, because I had it from the horse's mouth. I was on a panel last week with a guy who was at Twitter for many, many years. And he and I both agreed that crypto Twitter is the most feverishly loyal and engaged sub Twitter audience that there is. So I think Twitter is a fantastic place. You can follow Animoca Brands or me. It's at View from HK. And obviously you can find me on LinkedIn and, and people feel free to reach out and get in touch and share your interesting projects. That's great. We do appreciate it. Okay. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT with us? Got guests you want to see on an episode, questions for hosts or guests, and NFT you'd like us to review. Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today.
The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.